Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Time for School, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. From Never Mind the Bullocks. Now, what about... It's the Bollocks, Joe. It's the Bollocks. That's why you had me here. That's so why I had me here. America, you know, Although the Bullocks American have pronunciation. Bollocks. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show, emanating from the campus, Southeastern Louisiana University, 12 stations strong on the Rock School Radio Network. Make sure you get us on the PRX Network. If you'd like to get to it, go to our uh, Rock School website, go to KSLU, click on the Rock School chalkboard. My name is Joe Burns, and for the third show in a row, sitting to my immediate right, you are... Ralph Wood. Ralph Wood's going to talk about punk, but this time it's the punk that... When people who are just cursory knowledge of punk, they think of those from the UK. That's what we're talking about today. Now, you brought along two guests. Who's in the studio? You are? Bill Robison. And you are? Dan McCarthy. Okay. Why are they here, Ralph? Why them specifically? Well, I invited uh, Bill and Dan to come in because they they both spent time in England during, during the time that punk was taken off. And uh, Bill, as a historian, can talk a little bit about kind of the political historical backdrop that was going on uh, during the mid-70s and how that kind of gave rise to the punk movement. Now, Bill and Dan, you weren't just there, you know, to walk around Trafalgar Square. If I'm not mistaken, Dan, you lived there. I lived, yeah. I was um, 15, and my family lived in Brighton, England, for a year. So I was in high school, 15, down in Brighton, where they had, you know, the the mod and punk riots and all that stuff. That right. whole, I was right there. Now, I, I'm not sure of your background. Did you live or were yes. you visiting? You I, actually I, lived. I lived there in 1980 and 81 while I was doing research for my dissertation. Uh, I was a tad older than Dan was. I was uh, no. 25 at the time, I believe. Uh, but, uh, you know, there, there was still a lot of uh, resonance from the original punk movement at that point, and post-punk was going full blast. Um, and a lot of spinoffs, new wave, uh, the the whole two tone thing was was uh, going strong. So it was a really interesting time to be there musically. Okay, so um, you're going to offer a, a tremendous amount of support for this today. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. I wouldn't go that far. Well, <laughs> firsthand, sort of, sort of. What are we doing here? Well, the first song up is "Anarchy in the UK" by the Sex Pistols. You got to you got to lead off with that if you're talking about the UK punk scene. Um, you know, the Sex Pistols, there's been talk where they, a monkeys band that was put together by Malcolm McLaren, who ran a, a clothing store called Sex. Uh, I mean, I think they're better musicians than what they get credit for. Uh, interesting thing about UK punk is that a lot of these songs made the top 40, made the top 10, which was in kind of contrast to what was going on in the U.S. Anarchy in the U.K. is the first song up. Um, it was the first single off Nevermind the Bullocks. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's a fantastic song. Let's play it. We'll come back and we'll talk about its impact. Right? Okay. Right, good. Here it is. We're on Rock School.
Sex Pistols from Nevermind the Bullocks. You now, know, what it, about... It's the bollocks, Joe. What's the bollocks? That's why you had me here. That's so why I had me here. Because I was America, there. You know, Although the bullocks American have pronunciation. bollocks. Right. Okay. All right. Just tell me. What is it? What are bullocks, bollocks? What are they? Bullocks is a small bull. Yeah. And uh, bollocks, let's just say all four of us at this table, I think, still have them. We possess them. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Very good enough. Okay. Why? Why do we care about this band so much? Why did the Sex Pistols have such an impact? Was it because they had the queen and the, and the pin on the front? Why? I would say a huge thing is just their cultural impact more than anything else. I mean, it really impacted fashion. That's one thing I noticed going to school there when I was 15 is in America, the only kind of musical impact on fashion was like sort of a, a T-shirt and ripped jeans and long hair. Maybe that was it. But mm-hmm. suddenly you had kids with dyed hair and you had earrings and piercings and things like that. This is 15 years old. I could never have imagined that back in the States. So that was a big thing. And it pushes into the mainstream. I, I would agree that uh, it, they were also very flamboyant. I mean, you know, Johnny Rotten is not what you'd call a, a shrinking violet, no. and Malcolm McLaren uh, got got them put in positions where they could exploit the publicity. I remember they were on sixty minutes or something like that in this country very early on. Uh, and, of course, created outrage over here because nobody really understood what they were doing. Bad press is good press. Yes. And they said bad words. They did. You know, yes, rock did. music and bad words kind of go together. Where so. are we going next, Rob? Next up, we're going to play Complete Control by The Clash. Now, this is Dan's favorite band, so I'll let Dan take it over and talk about I, The Clash. I, I love these guys. I mean, I, I refer to them as the Beatles of punk a lot of times, and I really do think that's kind of right. They had a... The two songwriters, Joe Strummer and Mick Jones, who kind of had that Lennon-McCartney thing going on. And they took um, punk music, and I think it they started to bring other different styles of music into it. They had reggae on their um, London Calling album. They had some rockability, some country. I mean, on their first album, they do a cover of a Johnny Cash song, you know, <laughs> which is a pretty punk thing to do, I think. And they just brought in political sensibility. And, of course, they imploded after about four or five years, which is a very, very punk thing to do. And they just sound great. Their music is unbelievable. Their songwriting is great. And uh, listen to them if you haven't. You won't regret it. A great live act, too. Sure. It's The Clash on Rock School. Talking punk, UK punk here on Rock School today. Now, we're doing the Buzzcocks next. Buzzcocks, yeah. Every time I hear UK punk, and again, this is where I have at least a cursory knowledge. I hear Sex Pistols, I hear Clash, I hear Buzzcocks. But they're always a distant third. Everyone can say the Sex Pistols, everyone can say the Clash, but... Talk to me about the Buzzcocks. I mean, the Buzzcocks are from Manchester, um, and so they were part of that that first wave of Manchester scene. The beauty of the Buzzcocks, what I'll say about the Buzzcocks, is that there would be no Green Day without the Buzzcocks. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Buzzcocks were the ultimate kind of pop-punk band in that they would take a pop song, speed it up, dirty it up, um, and that was kind of the, the the whole beginnings of kind of this whole pop punk movement were at the Buzzcocks. Now you two that were over there, Buzzcocks. I would say the thing that's that's interesting about them, and you could say this about the Clash too, it, with regard to what Dan was just saying, is that Americans have a tendency, uh, and so do British music writers, to to categorize punk as like this monolithic genre 
of, of stuff that all sounded like Sex Pistols. And, and the myth is that nobody could play their instruments, that that was part of the protest against the kind of, you know, overblown stuff that was being produced in, in the, the mid-70s. Certainly there was a lot of overblown stuff being produced in the mid-70s, but a lot of these guys were pretty good musicians. And, and you know, you, you get music that's got really good harmonies in it, uh, that's melodic, and, and the Buzzcocks do some of that. Uh, you see that name and you figure, well, this this is going to all sound like you know cement mixers, but it doesn't. Right. Uh, th- there's a lot of punk that is really well crafted. Right. Um, so what are we playing by the Buzzcocks? We're going to play Ever Fallen in Love with Someone, which ended up being a hit later on for the Fine Young Cannibals. And if you got kids Jeez. and you've watched Shrek, you've heard this. You've heard a version of the song in that as well. There it is. It sounds like this on Rockstar. For the break, which is great because welcome to punk. Every song's only about two minutes, uh, maybe three minutes at the absolute outmost. We're in the UK, and I think people are going to recognize a name out of this band. Who are we playing? Next up is Generation X, uh, which their lead singer was was Billy Idol, who'd go on to a lot more fame uh, with with some other hits. But yeah, Generation X, we're going to play your generation. Generation X was the first band to get on top of the pops. Uh, which was a big deal, as it was kind of their 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 American bandstand. Sure. Now, when you guys were over there, was it? I mean, the whole world here stopped. I remember when I was growing up to watch American Bandstand. Did the whole world stop over there to watch Top of the Pops? Absolutely. Right. I'd say even more so. I mean, in America, we wouldn't do it but over there. That was a big deal. Now, is it done? I, I believe it's it's complete. They right. don't run Top of the Pops yeah, anymore. Yeah, like four years ago, they killed it. It had gone for 40 years or something like that. Wow. A long, 40 or 50, a long, long time. No, they, they still have the Christmas number one, but Top of the Pops is sort of, what was it, What was the movie that had the... Love Actually. Love Actually, uh, where, right. where, where Bill Nye's character uh, re, redoes Love is All Around <laughs> right. and promises to perform it naked one. if it goes to number one, sure. yes. Now, people you wouldn't think performing didn't didn't other punk bands perform on top of the pops you, you know i remember i've been living there the ramones performed on top of the pops Excellent. and it's funny it wasn't one of their good punky songs it was sounded this sort of sappy violin song i don't even remember what it was would you know ralph i think it's baby i love you that there you go yeah. Off of, uh, yeah. In, yeah end of the century which was their phil Spector producer it was a good visual though seeing them all in there <laughs> singing this song did they perform but, live do you know or was top of the pops like american bandstand you had to lip sync no it was lip sync yeah. uh, when when the sex pistols you know whose whose song God Save the Queen was actually banned actually ended up on top of the pops later on uh, they they lip synced deliberately out of sync and uh, swapped instruments and <laughs> talked to each other and gen- generally you know behaved badly uh, through the whole thing fantastic uh, so Generation X, Billy Idol, you said it before, but say it again. What are we playing? We're going to play Your Generation. Which has to be an answer song to... My Generation by The Who. You bet. Sounds like this on Rock School. Coming into the first break here on Rock School, and since we're not going to play a song, let me throw out a, I don't know if it's philosophical, but I'll just throw out a question. It seemed to me, just by looking at it, that punk was a little more accepted, at least by the broadcast media. How 
A, am I right? And how do you think punk got to the air so much easier in the UK than it did here in the United States? It seemed to fight more here in the U.S. Yeah, that's that's a good point, and I think it has to do with the fact that weirdly there are very few options for radio over there. I mean, the BBC runs the radio in a lot of ways, and so Radio One was the source of all your pop music, and because it was national, they made a point of including all sorts of different genres. So they had to have some punk, but then they had you know disco, but then that's when the whole two tone and ska thing happened, and mm-hmm. you get electronic. So they were even right now when you listen to Radio One, it's very common to have you know a Justin Bieber song, followed by a Snoop Dogg song, (laughs) followed by a Foo Fighters, followed by a Skrillex. And that's just all part of the hodgepodge. So it wasn't like commercial radio, which sort of latches onto one type of genre. They have all of them there. So if they're out there, you suddenly start hearing things. Yeah. Was pirate radio still uh, big then? I mean, BBC, some people make the statement, BBC existed because of pirate radio. That's a little simplistic, but... Were there still boats off the shore sending the signals in? It was it was not really necessary anymore. I mean, in in the in the sixties, um, you know, there was a time there where you could hardly get any rock music on on BBC at all. Uh, and and one of the oddities of it is that uh, it, it wasn't just a, a right wing left wing thing. One of the people who who was most vocally opposed to uh, having rock music on on the radio was Tony Benn, who was later. You know, so far to the left that he was considered a Trotskyite, mm-hmm. um, but um, you know, by the time you get to the eighties, they were playing everything. I, I can remember, or the seventies, they were playing everything. I can remember when I first got a radio. You know, turning it on, and the the first thing I hear is a song by Kate Bush, followed by a country song, and then David Bowie and a, a rockabilly song, and a little kid that held a rabbit and sang this snarky song called "Bright Eyes." Uh, you know, all in the first half hour, I had the radio yeah. on. So, and that's just typical. It was equivalent to our FM freeform radio of the 1970s. Yes, right. kind of. Before it became commercialized, really commercialized. Sure. Right. Yeah. Wow. Why, why didn't I live in the UK? Why didn't you live in the UK? <laughs> the other, the other thing to keep job. in mind is that you know, for for kids over there, they don't have all the options that American kids do. Uh, it's you know, pretty much it's 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 music. And it's football, yeah. you know, their version of football, which we call soccer. Mm-hmm. And that's that's about all they've got to entertain themselves with. So music is a really big deal. Much yeah, more there important. Were, there were two TV stations back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. KFOK Sacramento, thanks for running the radio show. And WMCE in Erie, Pennsylvania, appreciate it as well. Back in a minute to continue talking punk in the U.K. here on Rock School. Okay, coming out of the break, back to Ralph Wood, The Damned. The Damned. We're going to play Smash It Up, which is my theme song to start every fall semester, <laughs> is The Damned Smash It Up. You know, The Damned was one of those bands that had, had some great names to the people who played in the band. We had Captain Sensible. We had a drummer whose name was Rat Scabies. Um, <laughs> now, they were the, uh, the Damned were the first UK band to have a single. They beat the Sex Pistols to Ooh. it. They beat the Buzzcocks to it. They were the first one out the door. And I think it was neat, neat, neat. Um, so they started out kind of traditional, fast, kind of punk sound and stuff. Um, Smash It Up is actually a pretty jangly song. A lot There's some clean guitar in it, um, some kind of garage rock key, keyboard you'll hear. It's just a fantastic tune. 
Okay, and you use it literally at the beginning of every semester. Every fall semester, this is the it, first song. It really wouldn't be out of place on a Robin Hitchcock album, I no, don't think. No, no. Uh, which wouldn't be in, out of place on a Bird's album. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Good enough. The Damned on Rock School. Coming out of the damned, so things have officially started since Ralph uses it to start off each semester. So things are officially underway halfway through the show. I believe we're talking about the Stranglers, and Ralph has acquiesced to hand it over to Dan since this is one of the songs that he has chosen. Yeah, that was. I think Bill chose it too. Um, this is again one of the bands that was on the radio. They're uh, the first band I think that we're talking about so far that actually it's a four-piece band, but one of them is a keyboard player, and he's a really, really good one. This mm-hmm. is uh, Bill referred to the musicianship of some of these punk guys, and they had amazing musicianship all along. They're uh, they were really. Why, why do we keep saying that? That's that's something as if that's going to be sort of a jaw dropper to the audience. Yeah. It, wow, they can play. Oh my gosh. It's just one of the the biases we have because people really don't listen to the music much. I mean, they yeah. don't really get into it now. Hopefully these collections of shows will make people really listen to the music aspect of it and realize how deep it is there. Okay, fair enough. Um, but these guys, I mean, their attitude is amazing. Uh, they just had, they were, I don't know, if you look at the lyrics, you think it seems kind of intellectual, but I don't think they were. I think they just tried to annoy people. I think their point was to really say things that offended people, and they did a great job of it. Well, and they had a drummer with a great name, Jet Black, and yeah. and and they, they they named one of their albums Radis Norvegicus, which uh, you know has got to delight the biologists in the audience. Help uh, me out. Uh, it's it's a rat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know when I listen to the Stranglers, I think of like '60s garage rock. Yeah, you know, with that heavy keyboard piece, yeah. maybe something by them or something by Nani, or, uh, Question Mark and the Mysterians. Yes, yeah. and yes. so. Uh, you know, it's almost a deconstruction that goes on with some of this punk punk rock, as opposed to Yes and Pink Floyd and and all of this. Yeah. Um, and we didn't talk about, but on complete control, that you know, it's when you hear the yeah. oh, oh, you're my guitar hero because he does this really basic guitar solo, right? In, in there, and so it's it's almost some of this goes back to the first show we did when we listened to the Thirteenth Floor Elevators and we listened to the Sonics. I mean, this is that kind of lineage we see. Okay. What's the name of the song? It's No More Heroes by The Stranglers. Right here on Rock School. One more before the break, talking UK punk here. We'll give you a little behind the scenes of a rock band. The four of us are in the Impaired Faculties band, and something happened to practice one time. Sort of made me sort of cock my head, going, what do you mean, uh, this kind of band? We were playing Boys of Summer? We were playing Boys of Summer, yeah. yeah. And what happened? Well, there was a part where we were working on the background vocals, and people were right up on the mic, and it almost turned into like a chant doing the background vocal. And I think I said... This is not an oi song. And what I thought was, yeah. what, I'm, what I'm thinking is that it's Sham 69, you know. It's yeah. like it's like 45 people on the mic all chanting at the same time, uh, and which really wasn't what the, the thing that we were going for. But, uh, but, but Sham 69 is a great UK punk band. Yeah, and oi is, a, is an interesting genre. Uh, Jimmy Percy and a whole raft of other people were in uh, Sham 69. Uh, one of the things that explains that sound 
is that unlike a lot of the the other punks, they weren't art school kids. They were they came from a, a big football background, and so they introduced you know football type chants in into their music, and um, you can you can really hear it in this one and pretty much everything else they did. Um, the other thing that's interesting about Oi is that it's almost always misrepresented in the press as being uh, a kind of a neo-Nazi movement. Uh, because a lot of the followers of Oi were skinheads. Well, there were skinheads who were neo-Nazis and associated with the National Front. There were also skinheads who were left-wing, and there were skinheads who just didn't care one way or the other. And Sham 69 attracted all of these people to their shows, which is one reason the first incarnation didn't last very long. Fights would break out between the left and the right, and the shows got so violent in 79, they just, they just quit for a while. Uh, reformed in 1987 and still playing. Uh, but uh, if the kids are, are united, went up to, to number nine, uh, it was uh, quite successful. And uh, Oi is a good deal more complex uh, than, than most people say. Um, in 1981, uh, another exponent of Oi described it as about real life, the concrete jungle, hating the old bill, which is cops, being on the dole and about fighting back and having pride in your class and background. That could fit left or right or in between. Sure. So Sham 69, it's cold again. If the kids are united, you bet, here on Rock School. Okay, coming into the second break here, uh, let me ask a question to the two guests that are here since we have them just for the weekend, Dan and Bill. You lived in London. You lived in Brighton. Brighton. Yes. Okay. While you were there, was was punk just the music? I, I remember when grunge took over here. It was all grunge for a little while with little pockets of other music. Was punk just the music or was it just simply a subsection of music and there were other groups listening to other types of music what was it like well it was it was very big to be sure and there were hundreds of punk bands um uh, and and hundreds of little subcultures of punks who saw themselves as the true punks and everybody else as phonies but you also had this huge two-tone movement that produced the specials and madness and bad manners. So tell us and, what the two-tone and, movement is. Well, two-tone gets its name from the fact that, that the bands were, were all partly black, partly white. And okay. they played ska music, which is based on reggae. Uh, usually, um, they th- th- there was an element of humor involved in it, but also an element of social protest, like, like the specials Ghost Town, for example. Uh, in the case of uh, Bad Manners, they were just zany. They had a singer named Buster Blood Vessel who mm-hmm. used to dress in drag or dress like Henry VIII or uh, things like that, which, of course, you know, appeals to me. Uh, but uh, there was also a huge rockabilly uh, movement over there. Uh, American bands like the Stray Cats were hugely popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were there were still um, offshoots of progressive, like like Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel were, were hugely popular at the time. Um, I mean, it's, the thing about 
London to me is that it's like a musical museum. You could walk around town, particularly in the vicinity of record stores, and see guys still dressed like teddy boys from the 50s, guys dressed like mods and rockers from the 60s, uh, punks, you know, with with the big, big multicolored hair and all the piercings, uh, skinheads, uh, people with the two-tone look, which was... Some, somewhere in between those two it, it's it was just a fascinating place to be and whatever music you wanted to see you could probably see it was it the same in brighton um well there's a difference in that i was you know 15 and in high school mm-hmm. and um so that's just an entirely different thing but there was a huge spectrum of music there and what i did notice is kids there would get into groups based upon their musical taste well they so, do here as well in yeah. a in a much bigger way so there was the punks but all there was a mod revival then because when quadrophenia came yeah. out that happened and so the mods were ones which were weird they'd wear like who things on their jackets but the bands they identified with were like the jam yes yeah. that was one of the um so and then you had the um the skinheads, as Bill referred to, but the skinheads that I knew were the two-tone skinheads. It wasn't a racist element. It was actually a very um, complete thing. So you'd have kids that would shave their heads and put parts down. Um, and it was just this whole blend of thing. And even classic rock was happening then, weirdly. Rainbow was on the radio. <laughs> yeah, and that was, I mean, so a lot of the sort of musician-type kids would appeal to that stuff. So that was there. Um it was all over the place, and it was just the variety was incredible. I mean, the police came out, the clash came out. Gary Newman was there. New Wave was starting right then. In that cars, was when, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ultravox, yeah. And it was just all just happening so much, and um, it's funny because that the kids at school would be in school uniforms, the ties. That's why right. everyone's in there all the way up. And then you see them on the weekend, you wouldn't recognize them because they'd be all all punked out or modded out or whatever they're doing, and they they get into their little groups, and that's how it works. Hmm. KLSU on the campus, Baton Rouge. Uh, thanks for running the radio show. WOUB, Athens, Ohio. You run us as well. Thanks for doing that. Back in a minute, we're going to continue talking UK punk here on Rock School. Okay, coming out of the break, we've looked at the songs we have left. We're running out of time, and it's time for EEO rules. We uh, we decided on... Susie and the Banshees. Right, our first female. Susie and the Banshees were probably the most influential uh, female punk group, other than maybe the Slits. Um, Susie Sue, uh, Susan Janet Ballion, as she started out, uh, founded the band with a bassist named Steve Severin. Uh, had a drummer, another one with an interesting name named Budgie, um, with whom she played later in a group called The Creatures. But uh, they had a tremendous influence on, on getting girls into playing music, uh, which was not something you saw a great deal of. Had a tremendous influence on fashion because uh, a lot of the whole goth look with makeup and uh, – lace and leather mixed up together uh comes from her uh she had a very uh interesting stage presence uh did a lot of stuff with lighting you know particularly blue light uh to sort of give it a a, a, an otherworldly look and uh, did some real fine music as well uh they had their first hit in uh 1978 with a song called hong kong 
garden, which actually had a xylophone on it. <laughs> but uh, the one we're going to play today uh, is uh, appropriate, you know, here in the 100th anniversary of World War One because it's a song about World War One called Poppy Day. It sounds like this on Rocksville. Okay, final break here on Rock School. And again, because it's radio and because we have time limitations, we don't get to play everybody we've brought. So Ralph wants to go around the table and talk about bands that we don't get to play, but you as the audience should go check out. We'll go to my left. Dan, who should we listen to? I'm going to suggest The Jam. Um, The Jam, like I've said before, they really weren't so much identified with punks as, you know, from a kid perspective, it was more a mod band, but they really were a, a punk band. I mean, they're... Just great musicianship again. I think that's mm-hmm. a, a recurring theme here, hopefully. Their bass player, it's one of those bands where they almost have a lead bass player as opposed to a lead <laughs> guitarist. The bass is so up front. Uh, Paul Weller, the, uh, the writer and guitarist, is a brilliant, brilliant writer. He writes just really great social commentary songs. We're going to play a song called Down on the Tube Station at Midnight. I'd really recommend that and a lot of other things. And Paul Weller is still very active writing songs, wins mm-hmm. awards year in, year out. So listen to the jam. They were uh, relevant then and they're relevant now. Bill? I would recommend checking out the Boomtown Rats. Uh, They did some fabulous uh, albums in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, Bob Geldof, of course, went on to uh, considerable fame for his charitable work with uh, Band-Aid and Live-Aid. Uh, also, if you really want to see punk at its absolute extreme, check out The Crass, but be aware it's not for the faint-hearted. C-R-A-S-S? Correct. Okay. And one more. So I would say the Ruts are definitely somebody you need to listen to. Um, Wire, the Pink Flag album, is just classic. And uh, so we're going to wrap up today playing, playing the Stiff Little Fingers, which are a, an Irish band. And we're going to play Suspect Device by the Stiff Little Fingers. Very good. And that wraps it up. Gentlemen, thank you for coming in. Thank you. Our pleasure. Appreciate it. Dan and Bill. And uh, they're regulars, so you'll you'll hear them again sometime on the show. Now, next week when we come back, we get to the culmination. And we were at a party one time. And you said, I can take punk from its beginning right through Nirvana. Right. And next week, you will complete that journey. That's what we're going to do. That's going to wrap it up. I'm Joe Burns. He is Ralph Wood. You are? Bill Robison. You are? Dan McCarthy. That's going to wrap it up. Class is dismissed.